Welcome to Cross Streets, a podcast about race, culture, and soul care. I am Chris Burton. And I am Brittany Bongiorno. We are friends with a passion for empowering people and a collective mission for racial justice and community healing. On this episode, we speak to Stephanie, founder of Stylebox Salon in Prospect Heights, Brooklyn. Stephanie shares her vision of creating a salon that serves and represents the community and the challenges of being a Black entrepreneur. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cross Streets. Today on the show, we have our friend Stephanie from Stylebox Salon. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. We're this so is really super awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we know that you grew up or you were born and raised in Brooklyn. So maybe tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of what it was like for you growing up here. So I moved here when I was moved out of here rather when I was really young, but Mm -hmm. I love Brooklyn. Brooklyn's my home. Uh, When I was around nine years old, we moved down to Miami, which I was not too much of a fan of, but (laughs) Miami's cool. (laughs) No offense to people from Miami. Um, But yeah, uh, I loved what Brooklyn felt like, um, and Mm. it's always felt like home. Mm. And so after high school and college in North Carolina, I came right back to New York. Uh, I really, really just enjoy the culture here and it just feels like it fits me. So Mm. I was born here. I get to say I'm an original Brooklynite, even though I, via Miami, it's fine. We all have to go through Florida sometimes, so it's fine. (laughs) Florida's waiting for us all. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. What was Brooklyn like before you moved out when you were younger? So, I don't have a lot of strong memories, especially because I was so young. Uh, but I do remember uh, my parents having to work super duper hard in the neighborhood at the time. Uh, it was considered Crown Heights, though it's Prospect Heights now. It mm-hmm. was a little rough. And so part of the reason why we moved oh, down was just so that it, we could be safer. That's what my parents chose to do. Uh, We had a lot of family, a lot of friends here. Actually, all of our family and all of our friends were in New York. So that was a big move because going to Miami, we were pretty alone. Mm -hmm. And then shortly, people started to follow us down there. So I've literally got half my family here and half my family from Miami just because we moved there and we wanted to be together so um it was uh but i remember like prospect park i remember Mm -hmm. all that fun stuff so for me it was very um i was kind of isolated from whatever was going on in the outside world my parents really found a way to make us feel like none of the trouble was around us but um i remember feeling really sad when i had to move Mm -hmm. i had uh really felt like home here and so coming back i just kind of picked up where i left off we still have our same apartment so that really did feel like i got to see it from like 1980 something i won't say exactly when to to, like the 2000s early 2000s so yeah quite yeah that's my memory that is a special gift, though, to be able to see. I, I think a lot of folks um, can only remember what it was or have only known what it is. And so to have that lens and that perspective, do you feel like that sort of translates into how you as a, a community member now and a business owner sort of like navigate through the times? 
I think that's such an awesome question and I 110% agree. As a matter of fact, part of the reason why it was so important to me to open this business back in what you would say my old neighborhood was, was yeah. because I, I distinctly remember, not when I was younger, but when I came back in the early 2000s, that they, the neighborhood was still as bereft as I remember it being when I was younger. And yeah. that's to say that I, I definitely wanted to be part of the narrative of the sure. neighborhood in a sense. Sure. So like, I mean, there's so much luck that goes into playing with even how like I got to open and how lucky I was to be in the same neighborhood. But yes, having that sort of transitional history, if right. you'll call it, where mm -hmm. I get to see like, oh, like this is where we were. And then I get to be part of like Brooklyn's yeah. history is a big, huge word, but I'll just say part of the neighborhood. Yeah. yeah. It's really it's really awesome to get to do that. So that For people sure. now growing up in the same neighborhood could be like, oh, mm -hmm. that's where I got my first haircut yeah. yeah that's that's a pretty big deal to, to be honored to do that before we talk about stylebox i would love to learn um like did you grow up going to a salon that was kind of like inspiring to you that made you want to eventually open up your own actually quite the opposite <laughs> no salon was inspiring to me i think wow, wow, that's wow. the that, that was kind of how stylebox was born as a frequent uh goer to mm -hmm. salons a frequent client mm -hmm. um i mean hair was just something that it, it was you you had to do it and going to a salon was a regular part of my life um as as early as early as my tween years mm -hmm. so um one of the things that really sucked was that like there really <laughs> was no real good place to go i always felt like you had to make a choice between two things right mm -hmm. either you uh were treated nicely and are in a really nice space and it's clean and you have like fancy water but people have no idea what to do to your hair. As a matter wow, of fact, it wow. feels very like, like you're growing an alien on your head in some oh of these gosh. places. And then you've got the alternative where you've got someone who's really familiar with your hair, can really style the hell out of it. And then like you have to deal with rudeness or lateness or sort of like an unprofessional environment. And it was like, why? Do I have to make the choice between mm. these two things? Um, and one of the cool things is uh, about, and I guess we'll get more into this when we talk about it, but one of the coolest things about having this space is that a lot of the people who visit us have had these very similar experiences in the right. salon. Mm. You know, it's like we have to do our hair um, and this is like a necessity for reasons yes. and then also sometimes it's just because we want to yeah mm -hmm. and we can't find a space that speaks to us that's for us mm -hmm. and so for me having had the negative experience i had in salon actually in salons rather was what kind of like propelled me to want to open yeah create style box yeah wow wow that makes that makes a lot of sense yeah now, uh, I, oh, yeah. I was just oh sorry like i was just like Stunned by like your your experience where you said like it had to be one or the other, one or the other. Not it's it, and it's an experience still that exists. So right. I'd like to think we're making a difference, but we're not as ubiquitous that I, as I want us to be yet. But sure. ultimately, it is very common. Like you are choosing, especially the curlier your hair is or the more mm -hmm. textured it is. 
uh, there really aren't many high-end options for you that aren't going to break the bank, you know? Right, right. And then there's the other issue where um, you're kind of stuck following a stylist, right? If yeah. you're lucky enough to find someone who knows how to do your hair and you're really happy with the results, then if they move, if they mm -hmm. change locations, if they don't do hair anymore, you're kind of like beholden to them. And um, another part of why I wanted to build uh, this salon, this space, was because I wanted it to kind of, um, to kind of introduce a little bit of um, continuity in the uh, industry. Yeah. You know, right now the, the, the industry is so fractured that, you know, what are the brands that we know? We know Dry Bar. Uh, I would never walk into a dry bar. Dry bar can't help me. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, we know uh, Glam Squad and companies that do at-home services. Mm -hmm. We know um, uh, Supercuts and um, other places that have this brand recognition, but no place that's really reliable. Mm -hmm. Really, what we're stuck with is the people in our neighborhood who don't have brands. They might have multiple locations, but... It, it can vary from one location to the next whose stylist is there. And, mm -hmm. right. you know, I, I wanted to build a place where, A, no matter what kind of hair you had, you wouldn't have to worry about someone, like, where could you go? Mm -hmm. And then second of all, I also wanted to build a place where if we are lucky to have multiple locations, there'd be a standard of care so that mm -hmm. it was like the, you get the same thing no matter who you see and where and and sort of what location you go to. Mm. Right. I mean, like that's the holy grail when it comes to salons. That's what you want to do. <laughs> but it first starts with having a team of people who A, can are really skilled, B, are really friendly, and C, are like dedicated to their craft. I mm. think if you can build a team of those sorts of people, which yeah. many salons don't do, uh, we'd like to think that we've concentrated on that piece so that we can make the salon experience pleasant again. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm, I'm listening to everything you de you're describing and I'm thinking about what like my moms, my aunts and my, and my wife have described like being at the hairdresser and it doesn't sound like you're describing their experience. Like their experience has sounded so much more like going in for surgery. Like mm -hmm. I honestly think I could go. It's like eight get, hours. I can go and get an operation <laughs> yeah. at the same time that they're going to get their hair it's braided. Actually or not, anything. You're yeah. not wrong. That and is I'd leave before. <laughs> I feel like I would leave before. Yeah, this is the other thing, right? The other uh, thing that we hope that we give a refreshing uh, change to. Yeah, the salon is an endeavor. I remember when I was younger having to pack my books, yeah. uh, my lunch. Right. Like actually packed dinner a real too. lunch dinner. <laughs> we might have to have dinner. So two sandwiches in case things go left, right. which it often did. Um, waiting for hours. And this is alludes to earlier when I was mentioning this general lack of professionalism. Like, okay. yeah. This is someone who's really good at what they do. You right. know, they're stylists and you 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 believe them to be an artist. That's why you come to them. Mm -hmm. yeah. But for a lot of stylists, not all, but a lot of them, at least the ones that I've met, have really made it feel like you're the one who's lucky to come visit them, sure. not the other way. Mm -hmm. So things like your time... <laughs> Your money, Minor your details. overall yeah. disposition and happiness do not matter. Wow. <laughs> and I mean, 
for something that's used frequently mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. so many people for sure to be this kind of backwards experience not to sound really corny but it's like there's got to be a better way like, sure. like that's kind of like mm-hmm. where we hoped we could step in and change the dialogue i can't tell you again how many people will come visit us and it's like wait like i walked in and you saw me and mm-hmm. it, my appointment was at five and it's five and I'm being seated. Right, right. And, you know, it's not to say that as in any place, you know, you can be running a little bit late, but just a sure. general respect of making sure that if you are being in constant communication with you as a client, say, hey, you know, looks like we might be running 15 or 20 minutes late and mm-hmm. trying to make sure that whatever we do, we're coming from a place of what you want how you feel what you want to look like and how you want to leave here matters above everything else right mm-hmm. so that's why you can do surgery while right. <laughs> your mom <laughs> on there was something else that she had said that i felt like i should just address really quickly which Please. is we've also built a space where you as well can come in and get mm-hmm. your hair done um i know that a lot of places um that are high-end can only either see women or they can only either see men um or only do barbershop stuff or only do hair salon stuff and we've sort of worked on building a brand Mm -hmm. that you know you can come with your wife Uh um you know husbands can come together and uh boyfriends and girlfriends and everybody in between and just come and say hey you know like we all want to get our hair done Mm -hmm. and we all want to have this experience at the same time i think that's also what makes us a little bit unique because it's like it's for everyone and you know everybody deserves this kind of experience where your time is respected your money's respected um how you want to feel is also respected it's not just a uh, waved off as, as as unimportant right so um we really put a lot of thought into it uh how to make the experience like universally um helpful and useful Mm -hmm. yeah i've heard you refer to it as like a multicultural salon would you still call it that i think so i think that's definitely fair Mm -hmm. you know um because culture is such an infractuous concept right it's like culture in what sense i kind of now have moved away from saying that multi-cultural to multi-textured sure yeah because we are Mm -hmm. first and foremost here yeah (laughs) so i mean like the goal would be to put into the same room people with all different hair types and textures and getting it to be, I mean, like, obviously we provide services. So that's the first and foremost thing. Like that's what we do. We're not trying to change the world here at all, but there is something to be said about the fact that for a while, the salon industry has been very infractuous, right? Like I go here, like my white friends go here, mm-hmm. my guy friends go there, mm-hmm. uh, my Asian friends go here. We meet up with me here, probably eight hours later. Right. And then like we all get to go out, right? right yeah. And it's there's something to be said about being in a space where like it really doesn't matter what hair type you have, mm-hmm. we'll all get to come in together. Totally. And, and that's what it, it looks like a communal space intentionally for that reason. Right. So yeah, I would definitely call it multicultural, multi 
all things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because we, the goal is we really want to be, we really want to have something for everyone. I know yeah. like the rule of business is you're not supposed to do that. You're right. supposed to find a niche and stick with of it. Yeah. I've always found that a little repugnant mm. as a concept only because mm. it's like, well, Starbucks isn't like, coffee for some people like amazon isn't online shopping for a few i do look at stylebox in those terms because that's definitely what i want to be i I want to work on creating a brand in the hair industry that is as ubiquitous as those two brands sure but also can serve everyone's needs like that that's what's missing in the hair industry i think Mm -hmm. that's why people can have such divergent experiences with their first salon experiences like not you know i'm gonna wrap up so i'm not too long-winded but like we have we see children too see a lot of kids and Mm -hmm. we've had quite a few first time salon experiences for kids like think about my first salon experience (laughs) (laughs) being a loaded doo-doo so um thinking that for some people their very first experience with a salon as far as they can remember would be something so positive and different to me like really is like overwhelmingly awesome to think Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. like that just someone can walk into stylebox and their kid and they're like this is how like this is what salons are like that's great right i'd like the chance to do that i had a, a question because with you know that multi-textured experience there's still so many different um cultures cultural expectations rather and uh, empower dynamics how do you all navigate that um wow like all your questions are gonna be this awesome <laughs> <laughs> Uh, You know, I will say this to that question, which is the hair salons have been notoriously a safe haven, at least my experience with hair salons have been a safe haven specifically for black women. Right. Right. And I think about that being a real cultural component to the whole thing. And it's like, okay, so we're building a space where we're saying everyone and anyone. And how do I or I've been used to having a salon experience as a black woman get to just have my own space Mm -hmm. right and so you know navigating that um i don't want to call it tough i definitely want to call it a challenge because the truth is in general as corny as this sounds (laughs) we have more things in similar among each other than we have differences and one of the things that I think is always interesting is you'll you'll have people come in and they'll be from different backgrounds, different cultural backgrounds, different all sorts of backgrounds, really socioeconomic, socioeconomic backgrounds, et cetera, right. all of that stuff. And you'll get to have conversations in spaces that are not vacuums. Mm-hmm. I think when given the option, I think that provides a different kind of space. I'm not wanting to replace that safe space because sometimes it is all black women and we get to have that enjoyable experience together and sometimes it isn't and the cool conversations and sort of um like thought sharing exercises we get to have in there i think are pretty profound i am a black woman so (laughs) there are very few spaces dedicated to just me for sure and just for me and so in thinking about building this brand that was going to be able to serve everyone, 
I had to ask myself sort of like the tough question, which mm-hmm. is, do I want to build a brand that also just speaks to me? Yeah. Or do I want to start these sorts of tough conversations because we're kind of like not alone, even though we get to enjoy spaces that are our own spaces. Right. We also very rarely, there's some of us who very rarely get to exchange with others who are not in our vacuum. Mm-hmm. So if I get the chance to at least be that introduction and do it in a space that's very unapologetically black owned. Sure. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Like I definitely also look at the reverse of that too with people who may visit us, who may not know what to expect when they walk into the doors mm-hmm. and having the chance to be introduced to people um, in myself, in my staff um, that they wouldn't normally know could either handle their hair or know had these thoughts right. or know watch the same programs. I think that gets to be a very powerful thing. Mm-hmm. I don't trade it for the safe space, okay. but I do use it as a way to sort of enhance I think the experience of what a safe space can be and that definition of that. And so, you know, sometimes there are really tough conversations in there. You know, sometimes there are people who ask me, why do I do this this way? And there are also people who have come to visit us that are not very happy that a space that looks like mine is run by someone who looks like me. That has happened too, you know? And so all I can do is just, I guess, be my authentic self, allow my staff to be their authentic selves. And either people are going to always be welcoming, of course, too. And either people are going to be cool with it or they're not. Don't really concentrate too much on the people who aren't (laughs) cool with it. You know, I would say if you're not cool with it, you probably shouldn't live in Brooklyn. (laughs) Do you find that the, the clients that come in kind of know a bit of that background and that vision for the salon and kind of choose to come for that reason the majority of the time? No, quite the opposite. I would think that it's partly the minority, the, the less people know, like the people who know, know. Yeah. Right? yeah. And then the people who are new, cause that's who I'm thinking. Yeah. Would, the majority of new people actually don't really know mm-hmm. that it's owned yeah. by someone who's black. Mm-hmm. And wow. it's a powerful wow. um, experience because we are, we look very atypical. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also look like we're doing the kinds of things that um, for lack of a better way to say this, like, aren't expected of other black people that and that's you know you can either find anger in that right like you can either be kind of upset that it's like okay like how dare you not think that i can run a space Mm. like this and like watch shows like the nick and like you know geek out on game of thrones and know the difference between all of the red wines that are you know spanish and argentinian like yeah that i can get angry about the fact that you don't think that i can do that or i can use it as an opportunity to introduce you to how the vast majority of black people are actually so it's like um yeah i think that like for a lot of people it will come as a happy surprise you know that that we are owned uh Mm -hmm. we are black owned and then for some people just kind of like you know it's it's a learning curve and sometimes it can come from a place called i just i have a rigid definition of who you are and you breaking that definition makes me think right 
And sometimes it's just racism. So totally. there's no, there's yeah. no way around that. Right. Sometimes, sometimes it's just racism. Sometimes it's just racism. Yeah, yeah. 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 So real. It was such a powerful experience for me when I visited. So I had a friend actually who came who's also white and she recommended you guys. And I was like so excited because I've been trying out different salons in Brooklyn and like all of them were like super overpriced, like really fashion over function, not that good. <laughs> um, mm. But like I heard about the Starbucks and I was like, all right, I'm going to go check it out. This is so exciting. And like, as soon as I walked up and like see your awesome sign, I like walk in and it, you just like feel like you walk into someone's living room almost. And at the same time, wow. it's just like, super classy like stephanie had the biggest smile on her face was like the truly one of the nicest people i've ever met <laughs> and and then i sat i like went got taken in the back sat in my chair and like looked to my left looked to my right and like there were black women sitting next to me and i was like this has never happened to me in my life yeah. i think for me it was just such like a radical idea of what it means to be able to be in community and us getting like this wonderful treatment together that's really touching to hear you have to know that like the fact that this was your experience with us i'm kind of also blown away too hearing right. that um it's kind of crummy that i mean there are two sides of this crumminess right like the first side is like because there's so little spaces dedicated just to black women there are many black women and I've been one of these black women myself who's been very pos possessive over the spaces that I get to have as oh, mine. Sure. And so it's like, you can understand how somebody could be unwelcoming when they just don't have many things that are theirs. But then on the other side of this, and this is where I, I feel most, I guess, happy that we're in this position, I think, is where you you get to be able to expose someone to an environment that they have been notoriously shut out from uh, and it's all good, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think uh, to get back to your original question of how to navigate this, right? Like, I think while I can understand how this our salon was one of the first experiences that you had as an adult where you got to be able to do your hair with other women, other black women too, um, that didn't have your same hair texture. There's another element of this where it's like, even though I can understand it, it's kind of painful <laughs> that we also were your first experience, that this, this is where you got to feel this way. And so like, I think, Anytime you go into business, if you're going to be public facing, whether that business is being a small business owner, whether that business is being in the public eye, what, whatever mm -hmm. you decide to do or you not decided to go, I am in the public and I'm going to stand for something. Right. You kind of have a choice to either do it the way that you're used to or do it a way that like kind of propels the conversation, the whole system forward. Now, like these small moves, right. like they matter they're a microcosm in a sense they they matter in a microcosm is really what i mean to say and then you hope that it just ripples through mm -hmm. i am very touched to hear what you said you have to know that like now like i i mean i don't want to die but i could die happy with thinking about that <laughs> but it's to say that like there was a choice i guess for me to do this in a way that was the possessive way and I was like, well, if I do this, what do, 
what do I do? <laughs> what, what am I really doing? What am I accomplishing? I'm accomplishing much of the same. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I do think that there are people who might feel a way about that. I do think that there might be people that might not come to our salon because of this. Yeah. Um, but I do know that the more that we can give experiences to other people who are not Black to see us as our authentic selves, it's a good thing. Mm. You know, I don't want to hide the magnificence that is Black women. Yeah. And I want us to be able to just be people. Mm-hmm. Like, mm. and I think hair has been one of those things that has been so covert, so in closet, right? Like one day you come to work and uh, there's so much mystery, I think, around Black women's hair. Some of that mystery is treated with awe. Some of that mystery, as we can tell before, that law was just recently passed in New mm-hmm. York City to mm-hmm. like eliminate the racism that happens when you have natural hairstyles. Some of that mystery comes with a little bit of anger. And the fact that, like, you know, I think most of that comes from the fact that it's a mystery, right? Like, either people who are not Black are not welcome in spaces that aren't black spaces and then sometimes you just don't want to go Mm because they just don't feel like it's you know which is sadly worth their time or that black people will be competent enough to handle doing their Mm. hair right so the notion that we get to kind of like flay all that and then now we get to remove the mystery right Mm -hmm. like one of my favorite things that happens in style box is when two women of different hair textures and types will do the same thing that Mm. does happen and it's Mm -hmm. like Okay, yep. Gotta wash my hair just like you do. Gotta blow out my hair just like you do. And then we get to pick up the same products and maybe... We you use a dollop, maybe I use like a handful, but the same products we get to see our hair transform together. We bond over that, Mm -hmm. you know. Like I think that is that's where we should be headed, Mm -hmm. you know. Um it's very easy to kind of like stay in this like very like rigid zone. And I get why people do it. And it's totally cool. Mm -hmm. Fine. But I also think that there's something a little bit more powerful when we kind of seek each other out. You could have very easily, Brittany, not come. Mm -hmm. You could have been like, well, can they do my hair? Really? I'll give them a go. Mm -hmm. But you were also pretty welcoming and you were also pretty chill and cool Mm -hmm. and you know, that helps too, you know, like it's very easy to have you visit because you feel like one of us, right? Mm -hmm. And then there are people who just need a helping hand down that road. So it's it's cool that you felt comfortable, but I always like to say um, my team and I kind of reflect what you give us. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So if you find us positive, Is, is is because you're positive. Mm. Yeah. Like, that's what it is. <laughs> Although I'm in customer service, so I can't really ever not reflect a bad day. But right. it's like, yeah, you 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 hope you build a spot. It's easy. It's, it's harder for someone to come with a negative disposition if you give them a smile. Yeah. Doesn't mean that they're going to have a bad day, but a smile sure. costs nothing. Yeah. Totally. I was wondering about the opposite end of that spectrum though, where you, you spoke about, you know, folks who are comfortable and chill like like Brit was. You've spoken about people who might have been resistant to it. But how have you and your staff dealt with voyeurism? You know, like where someone mm. is just like really intrigued to the point where it's like making another customer uncomfortable. 
Okay. Ooh. Um, you want to know what? Voyeurism, while it happens in there, is very rare. And I think it's because we nipped that in the bud. Okay. Like, I think you're going to have a natural curiosity in general over sure. things you're not exposed to. So that happens. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I think that there is a fine line between that and disrespect. And because our environment, it's so positive, so welcoming, welcoming as, as Brittany was so kind to say, yeah. and sort of like the tone is set where it's kind of hard to be disrespectful, For right? Sure. So yes, sometimes, though rarely, people are curious yeah. and they'll want to know how something works. And I think if you can always bring it back to, well, you know, like, kind of works the same way your hair works. Yeah. Like people just want to know that there's a place, at least we've been lucky enough with the visitors that have shared their curiosity over uh, our client's experience. Uh -huh. We've been lucky that um, as long as they sort of get a tangible explanation that sort of relates them to the service at hand, it's kind mm -hmm. of okay. okay. Um, I'm not going to pretend that sometimes people don't cross the line, but I look at those moments as teachable moments. I don't shy away from them. Yeah. You know, someone might ask a rude question. It could come from a place where they're being rude themselves, sure. or it could come from a place that they don't know it's rude. That's good. And so not that I think that it's every black woman's job to educate people no. on mm -hmm. this is what rudeness is and this is what isn't. Right. I use that opportunity instead to sort of like start a conversation. And, you know, I'm going to relent this back to my staff as well. They're really awesome at Great. being able to be engaging, right? Like sometimes I think when you're in a place that probably is not like style box and, you know, wants to be a little catty and drama filled mm -hmm. and all that sort of stuff, mm -hmm. it can create a, an environment that sure. sort of does the same thing. Yeah. Whereas we are always first and foremost about like the comfort of all of our guests, whether that client is sitting in your chair or in your colleague's chair, yeah. you want to make sure that everybody's experience is mm -hmm. positive. Yeah. So for the people who sort of like look, you can catch that and go, yeah, you know, it's just a relaxer. So it's like a Brazilian blowout, but it just is a little bit more permanent. So mm. it's got to grow out first before. So you kind of like answer the language. question before yeah, you yeah. even like it gets yeah. And yeah. it's like, oh, okay. Or yeah, you know, this sort of like yeah. product is just going to help the curls look more refined and not frizzy. Mm. Right. I mean, if we did that for you, hair's a little straighter, so it would just make it look more wavy. That's what yeah. it does. And sort of like you're kind of catching these questions. It's like almost like, oh, okay, well, yeah, that's answered. Oh, yeah, yeah. Cool beans, I'm over it. Right. That's pretty awesome. cool, yeah. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> wow. So as a as a black woman and as a business owner, what were there any like complications you faced starting your business and what did what did that look like? Immediately laughing. I don't know. I'm like, <laughs> like, oh god. How much time y'all got? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, it, it is what it is, man. Um, I would say in this case, that's America. Like, you know, um, yes, how much time y'all got is definitely <laughs> what my instinctual uh, knee-jerk reaction is. But, you know, like raising money becomes 10 times harder. Right. Getting people to believe in your concept becomes 
10 times harder. Mm -hmm. Like uh, when I was just starting this out and just, it was just a, a pretty PowerPoint presentation at the stage. I remember trying to get people to understand this concept of, you know, there's a lounge that's dedicated to you just relaxing and there's a salon floor. And I remember um, this one financier uh, just being really like, uh, like he wanted to teach me business, mm. like that now you have just dedicated a large square foot of your business to a non-revenue generating aspect of whatever and i just want you to know like you're not gonna raise money that way and it's like you don't get it or the worst thing which is kind of like it can be very defeating if you're trying to just get somebody to think that you're competent enough to do the thing right. and them not being able to look at you as competent at all. Yeah. I used to make this joke that I was like, you know what I'm going to do one day? I'm going to hire a white guy. I'm going to have him present Stylebox to any of like these VCs and like angel investors. And I'm going to see what his rate of like, yeah. you know, acceptance a dollar right. And I said to uh, myself, no, like the story's cooler this way some there's mm. parts of me that wishes it wasn't this hard yeah. like i have to be real real like owning a business while very rewarding i'm gonna say this in a way that i would hear when i was starting it right. you kind of are a little irrational when you're starting to run a business because if you knew what was ahead like mm -hmm. no one would do it yeah and if you're a black person you wouldn't do it. And if you're a black woman who gets the joy of sexism and racism, then you'd be like, ah, nah, son, I'm just gonna clock into my nine to five. Yeah. So I wish, you know, I could say like, this stuff doesn't become tiring. You still haven't been able to raise money. One of the interesting things is I remember when this financier says this thing to me and he's saying it because he doesn't think I'm capable of running a business. That's for sure. Both as a woman and as a black person, mm -hmm. it's like right. even in his statement of going like, you know, hey, like, you know, well, how would this run? How would this even work? And it's like, I, if I'll just have to do it. It's, it's like, I'll just yeah, have right. to do it. Just stop. <laughs> and um, this thought of him going, well, you're... I had said to him, I need this money because I'm afraid that if we open, there will be too many people and we won't be able to serve them. Right. To which he replies, well, that will never happen. Oh, you don't have to worry about that because it'll take you years before you get to that place. And we are in this right. place where right. exactly what I said, like, you know, it's word of mouth advertising now. and every day is packed in there and yeah. if we had gotten this seed funding we'd be able to smooth. be we it would be a smooth ride yeah. but then the story doesn't get to be a cool story does it <laughs> no, nobody reads the stories of the smooth writers no. so right. that's what i'll say it is yeah. and you just what can you do like there's no place it feels like especially in this time that you can be a black person and just exist so you take all those bummer things and i always think when I, when another business opens and it's run by a black person i think there's a camaraderie that we all have but like i'm glad that we're doing it because mm -hmm. like you know one of the largest rise in entrepreneurship 
is in the black community. So there's something to be said that though the bankers don't care and the financiers don't care and um, like anyone, you know, that would support me if they didn't know Hmm. what gender or color I was. Like, I think that people are still responding and wanting to purchase our products and wanting to be part of our business and all this sort of stuff. That, that's well worth whatever racism one has to go through. So mm-hmm. it's, it's funny when I hear you you say that. Um, who wants to read that story? I was like, oh, I've, I've read that story in newspapers many times, but folks who look like you and I are, never get to write that story. Mm. Nope. We never get. That's never our story. That is told. never <laughs> our story. It's never told. But then you 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 power through. And the cool thing about where we are at today, as negative as it is, it feels from mm-hmm. time to time. Mm. What's really cool is that like people are noticing and they're seeing and they're supporting. Like you could very well choose not to do this podcast yeah. and like this is how we get to change the dialogue. Mm. This is how we get to get to say those stories. I mean, like, like I'm super lucky that I got to meet you guys. And I think, like, the more it, Godspeed to your work, because this is the sort of way that I think we kind of, like, sort of change the global narrative. Mm-hmm. So I actually throw that back at you. Mm. Thank you both. Oh, my That's gosh. We're just so thankful to have you. And, yeah. yeah. An for us. So great to hear more of your story. And <laughs> what, I mean, kind of a cool segue, I guess, would be, like, what is your hope for the impact that you hope to make with your salon in, in the future? And what's your hope for the community? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, definitely I hope we're around for a long time. So that's, yeah. like, basic hope. Um, and that, like, you know, more people come and visit us and experience our brand of doing things and that we grow, uh, that we are a cool place for people to visit and get their hair done. That's one thing, but a cool place, which I didn't get to touch too much on, for other stylists to work mm-hmm. and, or, you know, yeah. like to have a different kind of experience in their professional life as well. Right. Um, I say this now till hopefully it happens, till it happens. I won't use hopefully anymore, <laughs> but like, the real goal is for this to be as ubiquitous as Amazon and as Starbucks. Mm-hmm. I, I want this to be a brand that when people are like, God, like, where can I do my hair? And they're the, in the middle of like, wherever. You're like, oh, let me look at my app. There's mm-hmm. a style box. I can go there. Like for me, because the hair industry is so stratified, I think this is an opportunity that we can really step into and just sort of change mm-hmm. the experience, mm-hmm. you know? don't want to talk about my competitors as much but i definitely want to say like it would be cool if that is what was stylebox's future because i think um i think this industry sort of needs if not us and i hope it's us but something that feels positive and safe mm-hmm. and also competent and also friendly mm-hmm. like you know this is a multi-billion dollar industry and i cannot believe that we're still having the conversations i was having Mm -hmm. when i was 12 about this one thing and so yeah you know i say i i want to be that brand i want us to be everywhere everywhere there is someone who has this struggle and you know maybe like so that it's not just about world domination and money (laughs) (laughs) i think that there's a like the last aspect is that i kind of like would hope that we just leave people with a more positive appraisal of black people in general Mm. i say this not only for like people who are not black but i say this for 
people who are black mm -hmm. in our community. I say, I would just hope that like people it, it just, we, we, we are people. <laughs> like I, right. you know, I've always been disappointed and just downtrodden by the fact that like, at least with my experience in America, it may not be everybody's, but it's always felt like I've got to somehow defend my humanity. It's very, mm. very, mm. very, very exhausting. Mm. Oh, I'm, you're, you're atypical. You're not what I'm used to. Like, you're so articulate. Uh, it's stuff where you just feel otherized. Yeah. And like, for me, if Stylebox had a dent in that conversation, then I could truly die happy. I could truly die happy first because you came and had a great experience. And then <laughs> yeah. I could die again. I could reborn and die Double again death. after the fact that we get people to just come in there yeah. and not have any, you know, like their experience with black culture is, is so like expansive that they just don't type us as just one kind of person. Right. Mm -hmm. That to me is the real mm. goal. And I think we do that. Yeah. And I just want to, do more of that yeah man <laughs> we want to see that too we support you girl oh yeah so excited for what's to come for you guys I, you're doing something revolutionary i think you know and i can only say my own experience but i can only imagine i mean yeah it was just really really special well thank you yeah <laughs> you know every day i wake up thinking ah, oh, like this is so hard like yeah I have no money. Like <laughs> everything yeah. is just to make this business go. And mm. like, it, I don't live in like a railroad room in the middle mm. of like, it's like, I am this old and like, don't have anything of my own. And like mm. questions that you'd ask yourself anyway. And it's like, right. why, like, why is this happening? And like, maybe I should just quit. Every day I have one of those thoughts right after that something so awesome will happen mm -hmm. and it almost feels like it's the universe saying yeah. like god like just keep on doing it i guess no doubt. it's amazing it's cool man yeah <laughs> tears yeah. <laughs> it's a heartfelt mm -hmm. such a good story man <laughs> oh no don't make me the heartfelt <laughs> Well, we love to end our episodes with a call to action for our listeners to kind of be able to learn how both them and us can be supporting you. Yeah. Um, so if there's any way that you would say that is like a positive or helpful call to action, we'd love to hear it. Whoa. Besides, obviously, everyone should go to Starbucks. <laughs> Besides <laughs> because that. Because it's fabulous. Um, you know, what I would probably say is like the next time I think of someone is hearing their friend who is of color, though I really hate that phrase, but I'll use it for this purpose. Talk about something mm -hmm. that they should just, that is troubling for them. They should just like probably listen and then vice versa. <laughs> if they've got a friend who is not of color that they should also listen to. Mm -hmm. I think like we live in this world that we are today probably because we're not listening to one another. Mm. We just want to talk over each other. So that's probably, but just 
once you don't have to do this all the time just yeah. one moment being conscious of that mm. and then come to the salon yeah that matters so i'm not gonna pretend like that does it thank you so much for oh, sharing thank this you with us. i have no words like thank, thank you for, you for this doing. opportunity uh, like i really mean this like this is thank you thank you both like have no words <laughs> So thank you guys so much for listening. Um, and, you know, keep on listening. Subscribe, share, do all that good stuff. Follow us on Instagram at Cross Streets Podcast. Peace. <laughs>